and welcome to episode 146 of the Effect Podcast. You know what the chain of command is? It's the chain I go get and beat you with until you understand who's in rotten charge. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And we have a packed episode for you today. As always. We've got all sorts of things. As always, we have a packed episode, <laughs> yeah. Um, so after we've uh, we've had a we've had a bumper three weeks since our drunken time at the uh, gaming retreat, Dave. For for new patrons joining us, so we've got quite a few to talk about there. Lots of stuff going on in the world of gaming, including something I specifically forgot to mention three weeks ago. So um, it's almost I think today is the last day of that particular Kickstarter. So you you, you specifically forgot to mention it. Was that you? You specifically deliberately chose to not mention no 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 i specifically <laughs> forgot to mention it i knew there was something that we should be talking about but in my drunken haze i was going what's that other thing that we're going to talk about uh, yeah, and, yeah. and i couldn't and of course we were disconnected from everything uh, and so i i really genuinely forgot until later on uh, uh and then we've got an interview haven't we, we which you arranged uh with the uh, with the original author and the translator of a new old Coriolis scenario. <laughs> Indeed, Frozen Inferno or Iskalt Inferno in Swedish. And there's been some debate over the translation. And Iskalt of the, is. Of the title. <laughs> of the title, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, only of the title. Um, uh, which, which I think in, in Swedish does um, translate more directly into Ice Cold Inferno. But. Um, Moa. And some of us, that's me, me, I like Ice Cold Inferno. So do I, actually. But other I, people don't. I like Frozen Inferno, too. But, uh, yeah, so the interview with Moa Fritjofsson, which I've well got done. wrong again, uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, and Adam Palmquist. So, um, yeah, that was, a, that was a really good opportunity to chat to them about bringing a uh, old Swedish, published in 2011, Coriolis scenario into the light for those of us in the UK or those of us elsewhere who don't speak Swedish and can't read yeah. Swedish. So that's brilliant. That's a really good interview we've got going on later on. Yeah. And then I've got uh, quite a long essay, I'm afraid to say. I had a lot to say about rank and playing within a chain of command in role-playing games. Hence the so, Firefly quote for the title. For the title of the hence episode. the Firefly quote for the <laughs> title, yeah. Which, before we started recording, Matt did say, well, it's your turn to, to open, but shall I do it? Because I know the quote. And I was like, <laughs> what? Beg your pardon? Um, Serenity, Firefly, I'm familiar. Thanks very much. Yeah, but within our little social circle, I was the first person to watch Firefly. I was the one telling everybody to go out and buy the DVD. That is true. You did infect yeah. me with Firefly. That is true. <laughs> um, and and that's all. We, we didn't give you any homework last time because we were drunk. Uh, so you're, you're let off doing any. And by the end of this episode, maybe we would have thought about what we're going to do next time and, and give you some homework. Yes. I think, cool. we have a, so I think we have an idea for that already, don't we? So. Yes, yeah, we do. I was just trying to imagine that we're, you know, we're totally unprepared <laughs> and that we make all this up on the spot. Well, we are quite unprepared and we do make most of it up on the spot. <laughs> so, 
And I think, you know, our regular listeners have probably worked that out for themselves by now, actually. <laughs> Ignore the um, man behind the curtain, listeners. <laughs> he's very small and he's standing on a stool. <laughs> um, yes. Right. Anyway. So let's crack on with our patrons because we've had a bunch, you know. I, I, I say this every episode. Oh, it's amazing. We've, we've got more patrons joining us. Uh, well, and, and it is amazing. And it is amazing. And thank <laughs> you very much, everybody who's joined us and everybody who continues to uh, to patronize us, Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is an unusual kind of, you know, the, 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 cor- the common um, sort of modern vernacular. If you patronize somebody, it's not really a good thing, is it? But um, if, no. you go, if you go <laughs> but, back a bit in the use of the language, then... Uh, patronizing somebody is actually really positive. So, excellent. Yes. In the one no, sense, so... patronize us to hell. In the other sense, <laughs> well, you might patronize us to hell in the other sense as well, which is fine, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, um, so we've got four new patrons in the last three weeks, and um, and one of them may have a bit of a familiar ring to their name. <laughs> but let's start off with Alexander Kanowski. Kanowski, I think. I'm sorry, I've just uh, mangled mangled your Polish yes, name as yes, well. It's another it's another surname mangled by the by the effect boys. But yeah, thank you, Alex, uh, but Alexander. Thank you very much, Alex, yeah. for your for your patronage. Uh, and next one, do you do you want to say this one, Dave? Because you are the Roman scholar. <laughs> I'm not sure this is particularly a you know a, a real Roman name, but um, Frontinus of Borrelia, Borrelia. Oh, sure, it's Borrelia, sure, Borrelia. God dear, yeah. I should have said it myself. Frontinus well, of Borrelia. I think that's. I think that might be an internet handle as opposed to a person's given name. But um, I hope it is a person's given name because that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Frontinus, thank you very much yes, for being our you. patron. And then, uh, oh, here's another surname I'm really going to mangle. Um, Tony is his first name, but is that Semark? <laughs> Tony, Tony Seamark, who is, of course, our, our, our player on Forbidden Lands um, and uh, and your your Western games. Is he, is he playing in your Western game? Of course he is. We talked yeah. to him about it last week. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so who was our guest last week? And he happens and was, to be my older brother as well. And he's your older brother as well. Let's let's face that. Yeah. So, so frank, um, frankly, about bloody I'm, time he started. I'm quite disappointed he's taken this long to like get on board. Bastards! <laughs> bloody hell, Tony! What are you doing? I mean, come on. But, uh, so, Tony, uh, thank, thank you. you. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, our most recent new patron is Craig Duffy, who. Uh, Craig and I have a long-term relationship that's come purely out of meeting him at Dragon Meat. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, uh, Craig, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I think we originally met on the on the forum for uh, for Happy Jack's RPG podcast, which will be coming up later in the episode. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I remember Craig joining me for my first convention Firefly game. Oh, and, wow. uh, cool. and then I played in one of his a couple of years ago at Dragon Meat. Oh, as well um he's also published a bunch of stuff and when this goes out i'll put in a link to some of his games on the on in the show notes because he, he's he's uh, quite a creative soul and there's some interesting mm-hmm. games there brilliant well thank you craig thank you very much and thank you to everybody for 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 joining our little band it's brilliant 
Although the thank yous aren't quite over. I'm not going to mention names here because I think it's kind of rude to talk about how much people have spent. But two of you, and you know who you are, (laughs) you have, in the last three weeks, increased your pledge up to our top level. So thank you both. As I say, I think it's rude to talk about how much people are actually spending with us. But but guys, uh, or people, should I say, whoever you are. Yes, thank you. That's really, you know, it's, it's, we were talking before we came on air about, um, how wonderful it is that that all you out there support us so so um you know willingly and generously and we were talking about just the consistency you know getting the sense that people continue to listen to the rubbish that we spout um yes. <laughs> and the fact that people are actually um choosing to increase their um their offerings and and you know continue to support us even further even more is just so um yeah it's so uh you know, humbling and we're, we are so very grateful. So thank you to absolutely everybody. Um, and thank you to the two who know who you are. Cool. And I will say, um, if any of you are patrons, but you don't look at the Patreon website that often, you may not have noticed that uh, in honor of reaching our latest goal, which I guess we'll talk about in the world of gaming a bit later on, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I've, I've offered an exclusive, a patron exclusive, uh, 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 effect pinned everybody even people for whom your address we don't have so check out the patreon uh, site if you're not already a patron and uh, if you want one of these uh, lovely pins then mm-hmm. drop your address down in messages on the patron please so on the patreon so i know where everybody is and then i'll be sending out pins to everybody cool and they are they're really nice little little kind of tie pins collar pins lapel pins. yeah pins. they're very 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 nice uh, cute and yet modern at the same time. <laughs> Just like me. <laughs> <laughs> right, mm, World of Gaming Day. Okay. What have we got to talk about in the world of gaming? Oh, well, we've got loads of stuff. So and there's a couple of things I've seen come up, which um, uh, I don't know a ton about, but um, I think you know a bit more than I do. So the um, two games that are, are they both, or certainly the, the D Sanction is currently being kickstarted as we speak, I think. Yeah, the G-Sanction, this is the game I forgot to mention three uh, weeks yes. ago. So uh, Phil and Paul of All Rolled Up, I'm really sorry about that. I did mean to mention it three weeks ago, and um, yeah, I've made my excuses earlier in this episode. But um, it's the, the, the Kickstarter is still on now, so anybody who gets a preview of the unedited text, just go for it. Yeah, well, also, as of, as of recording, um, there are 55 hours to go. So you've got a couple oh. of days. Got a couple of days. So we're recording on Friday morning, Friday the 20th of November. So this runs until Monday morning, Sunday night. Monday morning. Okay. So right. if you so hear I, this before then, you might get a chance to get in and back it up. If we um, do a speedy job of editing it, Dave, perhaps we'll uh, yeah. perhaps we'll get a few more backers in a game that I'm really interested in. You're, you're less interested in it, Dave, aren't so, you? So I haven't looked into it in great detail. Um, just having a quick glance at some of the stuff around it, it didn't immediately grab me, but I've I've certainly heard you talking about it with some enthusiasm. So um, tell me why why it should grab me. Okay, well, I, to be honest, uh, I I I can't necessarily sell it to you because it's <laughs> not a system I've played. It looks like a really stripped down, almost osr style system Mm. but simple d6 three stats uh that sort of game um what what really interests me is 
the setting because it is set in the wonderful Elizabethan times when um, Walsingham was doing a whole bunch of spying and setting Catholics up. And also uh, Dr. D was um, summoning angels down and uh, asking them for advice about his hemorrhoids. That's the history of it. Um, (laughs) And and obviously there's, I think, a little bit of fantasy in there. So, you know, there are strange creatures and all sorts of stuff there. But it's a period of history. And um, we have been talking on our Patreon-exclusive Discord a lot about historical games, haven't we? Yeah, very much so. and it's appeared that a couple of our players have said, oh, you know, actually, I'd really like to do something in that sort of early Renaissance, early modern time, post-Tudor stuff with gunpowder and stuff like that. So it's that period. But of particular interest to me is in a previous uh, professional life, I used to um, dress up as historical characters mm-hmm. for um, uh, one of our palaces, Hampton Court Palace. And just about the last thing I did before I moved on to another job was play a guy called Jonathan Hickman at Hampton Court. And Jonathan Hickman was a fabulous character. I think of um, a gypsy descent, uh, but he he's featured twice in the history books. Dr. D writes about Jonathan Hickman being his scryer. Indeed, at that point where he's summoning an angel down to ask him advice about his hemorrhoids, mm-hmm. it's Jonathan Hickman that's doing the actual uh, seeing because uh, D couldn't actually see any of these creatures and he re- relied on scryers to see them. Uh, Jonathan yeah. Hickman is there. But the other fabulous uh, thing that ties this so well in with the D sanction is Jonathan Hickman is also mentioned because, um, oh, I can't remember who it was, but uh, Walsingham uh, got some evidence planted on somebody he wanted to accuse of uh, Catholic conspiracy. And the case was made that it was Jonathan Hickman who had planted the evidence in mm. this book's pocket. So um, so I like the idea, or when, when I was playing him at Hampton Court Palace, I was imagining him as a, a working class spy and magic user. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, I, I really want to play him in this game. That's the only reason I'm buying this game. <laughs> but I've well, gone it, for the top level <clears throat> patronage. Um, cool. And uh, I'm really excited about it. I mean, it does, it does sound, um, and the, as uh, our conversations around like, using periods of history, um, for, for for RPG settings, we've had a lot of conversations about them, and I, I think I there's a bit of me that gets kind of fed up with having to use sort of supernatural elements to yeah, to make know, it playable, spi- yeah. to spice up the spice up the the, you know, the setting and the context. Now I can see in this one the supernatural element is kind of the context, and it's set in the historical era, so that's maybe slightly different because without it, you wouldn't. It's, it's not a it's not an Elizabethan game with supernatural elements put in. It's a supernatural game set in Elizabethan period, so it's different. Um, yeah, but I, I I do get irritated where you see, you know, there's so much drama and there's so many stories to be told just in the history of the world that you don't need to put something in it, in my view, to to spice it up. I can see where you know, if you wanted a broader appeal, you might need you might feel the need. To put some kind of hook in it, it's like, oh, you know, it's the Wild West, but it's got vampires. Ha! Um, you know what uh, I, you know. I'm beginning to think with these with these uh, vampires or zombies in your Wild West or whatever it is. I'm beginning to think that it's um, is 
like like you can do all sorts of video games, but we still have video games where we shoot people. And I remember um, as part of my early part of my re, uh, research, my PhD, I was talking about reading a, a book by a video game designer who says, why do we keep shooting people? Why, you know, given everything we could be doing in a video game, why is it always about shooting people? And mm -hmm. he basically said, it's the easiest way of keeping score. And I kind of wonder whether we put the supernatural into these historical settings simply so that players can have something to kill uh, without necessarily, um, you know, killing people. Yeah. That's a, that's a fair, a fair, a fair comment, actually. Um, but then, you know, if you look at the, the vast majority of the most successful computer games out there, you're still hacking and killing your way through lots and lots of people. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, doesn't it doesn't seem to matter for video games. You don't have to be supernatural, do they? But, um, but I think, yeah, again, I don't know. So again, it's, I guess it's, it's, it's what you're trying to, to recreate in your game. So let's take, for example, video games like Battlefield or um, Call of Duty. And mm -hmm. they are recreating to different levels of authenticity, um, you know, what it's like to be a soldier on a battlefield. Um, you get, you do get elements of Call of Duty, actually, where they have some really good zombie scenarios and you just run around shooting zombies. Um, but that's kind of by the by. If you're running a role playing game, again, it comes back to that question. What are you trying to recreate? What, what feeling are you trying to, to, to bring your players into? And I think for me, I, you know, I'm, I'm a historian by degree, by, by trade, as, well, not by trade, but by university um, and study education. I, uh, you know, I have great fascination for lots of different periods of history. And I, and I want to put, I want to, I think I want to deliver some of that fascination onto the tabletop for people to get the same kind of pleasure out of the history that I do. But then that builds mm. itself into wanting to do something that's a bit more not realistic because we're not doing recreations. And I had a conversation with our friend Andy, uh, patron Andy, about the authenticity or reality of gunfights in the Wild West mm. the other day. And we're not trying to do a recreation. We're trying to do something that feels authentic. Um, well, the Wild West is a great example. And we're, we're, we're doing this with, with Toto, uh, the Tales of the Old West. Our first principle was it will not be a weird West, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. That's basically yeah. the first thing. And I think that's because, in a way, yeah, uh, the gunfight is a really good example of the mythology of the Wild West. So yeah. a game of the actual Westward expansion comes a, comes up against all sorts of clashes, like, you know, this is um, a very imperialist, colonialist game, and it's, you know, and people didn't actually necessarily have shootouts in the way that um, we see them portrayed in films. But there is a mythology about the wild west that is genuinely exciting and has kind mm. of iconic heroes and things like that and i think that's what we're trying to capture and you don't necessarily need to add vampires to make it fun no you you, you absolutely don't need to add vampires to make it fun and the you know as i said that's why i said that you know it you know our philosophy for the game isn't to be realistic it's to be mm. it's to feel authentic um yeah because they're they're two very different things, and I've been I've been using those two words a lot lately, um, and I and I think it's really important that you know you can go for the realism, and then you end up with something like Phoenix Command, um, which you know is great if you want to do a ballistics recreation, but if you want to run a game that just feels authentic, it's not great, and then you go the all the right at the far end, the fantasy, the vampires coming into the saloon end, 
<clears throat> you know, which is right on the other far end of that scale. And I, you know, I, I want something that feels, that makes people feel like they could have been there at the time, even if it's not a, 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 a accurate recreation. It just needs to be an accurate, authentic experience. Mm. If people are understanding what I mean, the difference I mean between those two terms. And that means that, you know, you will get gunfights where, you know, people do hit each other. You know, yeah. one, of, one of the notions in, in, in old Wild West stuff is that, you know, you'd fire a lot of bullets, but you wouldn't hit with many of them. Um, yeah, which of course, if you, actually... If you, if you did hit, it would be really bad, actually. Getting yeah. hit with a bullet in the Wild West was possibly in itself, you know, a life-threatening event straight away, regardless of whether you just got nicked or not. Um, sorry, go on. Yeah, well, I was, I was going to say, I, I think that, you know, the, the principle behind dueling with pistols is that if you're willing to put your word on the line against somebody shooting at you, then your honour is saved. Whether or not you kill the person, actually, it's just, you know, I stand up for what I believe and therefore I'll stand in front of you and let you take a pot shot at me while I take a pot shot at you. Yeah. I think part of that is built on the idea that most people did miss in those early mm. days. Yeah. Um, but but as you say, when they hit, even if it's only a glancing hit without penicillin and without the medical treatment people had, often even a, um, a, a hit minor. that nowadays would just wound would actually potentially kill you in a long, slow, and painful death. Yeah, and yeah, you know, and yeah. You know, in the one sense, thing that, that what we haven't done is written long rules about gangrene and sepsis because that's <laughs> yes. not. Role playing, That's not role, fun to play. <laughs> role playing that might not be so much fun. Although I was again, I was discussing with somebody the other day. There is a there is a thing in there that actually that might be a really good story to play out for a character who knows that they're going to die and they've got a day or two left to finish. Mm. You know, so there there is room for that, and I, I think we could probably do something to cater for that, but not make it make it part of the mechanic. Um, yeah, and I recently made you read Lonesome Dove, didn't I? I yeah. That's brilliant. And I there's loved a it. Yeah. lovely sequence, and it focuses on a friendship between. Well, I say friendship. <laughs> it is. It's definitely a friendship. Yeah, it is. Yeah, even though they find each other really annoying. I yeah. have no idea why we like this so much. <laughs> um, well, there is, there is a the brilliant. There's a brilliant scene. No spoilers, but there's a brilliant scene towards the end where the two of them. Are, yeah, are kind. I of, think we're talking about the same scene. Yeah, are yeah. kind of actually talking to each other for the first time in thirty years. And saying stuff that's still underneath the surface, but it's, um, yeah, it's beautifully written. Larry McMurtry yeah, has written it. a beautiful book. Um, and so, I think I said to you at the beginning, it's, it's about how crap men are, actually, in a way. <laughs> I think lots of people see it as, oh, look at these brave men, you know, doing, doing this fabulous cattle drive, but actually it's about how crap they are, yeah. <laughs> really. Um, while at the same time doing some fabulous stuff. Um, but it's, it's, but it's it. I mean, it is a beautifully written book. Just talking about that scene has got goosebumps on my arms. Um, yeah. It is, yeah. 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 Um, anyway, so yeah, so being able to recreate it? something like that in yes. terms of the Old West would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Yeah. Let's see if we yeah. can manage. We're going so to anyway. spend some time with that over Christmas, aren't we? Yeah, uh, so we're taking some time off. So um Yeah, so we've got loads of of stuff from the from the from the playtests coming out. I think we are pretty close um across the board really with a couple of areas that I think we just need to have a re um do some due diligence through um and, and work through again to see if we're running them in the best way. But we're we're getting quite close, I think. 
I'm, I'm feeling right. pretty good about it. But so a point... 0.4 edition in the new year, you reckon? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Excellent. Okay. Um, but bringing we should us be back, talking about other people's games. Bringing so. us back to the desanctioned, though, because this was a long okay. conversation that sprung off that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think just looking on the Kickstarter now, it does look again really nice. The uh, the, the the mechanics look, you know, really kind of you know simple and not to get in the way of the the, the play. Um, and there was a really good picture here, which must have been drawn of. Um, Miranda Richardson as Queen Victoria um, <laughs> in, in Queen Elizabeth in Blackadder. It's a really good picture, but it just looks right. Just it like does it. look a lot like Miranda Richardson. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so, so you've now got 55 hours to go, guys. So if you're interested, Well, 54 now. We've it. been talking about it for about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> cool. uh, the other, another game uh, which is kind of interested me it's interesting me because it's written by one of our friends of the show Indeed, and yeah. it's published by both a friend of the show and a patron of the show and that is wild yes now wild stands for something i can't remember something, something lucid in lucid dream dreaming yeah <laughs> i was looking it so up just before and i couldn't find it um um, so if you're into, you know, if you enjoy Inception, I think this is a game that's kind of inspired by the movie Inception. Uh, it is also a tarot-based game. So the randomizer is a pack of tarot cards. Um, and that's something that's always interested me. So I, I really yes, want to give likewise. it a go. Um, now, it is a kind of, um, well... You can play it in two modes, I understand. One is kind of GM-less, so I'm really mm. intrigued to see how that works and whether it feels at all ten candlesy in that respect. Yeah. Um, the book, uh, as as we've seen on the Kickstarter, looks lovely. Really interesting format. I think actually, I I'm I'm pledged at quite a high level. I think I might knock down my pledge a bit. I'm sorry, um, Stu and uh, Dave, <laughs> but not. Not because I've just put my pledge up for, for the desanction, but also because I just realized that I've placed for a leather cover and I want the standard cover because the standard cover looks beautiful. Mm. Cool. Um, so that's what I'm going to do there. Yeah, and I, it, it looks really interesting. Yeah, cool. Again, it's, it's not one I know a great deal about. Um, uh, just really listening, hearing, hearing other people talk about it. Um, but yeah, Stu and Dave, they're they're they're, they're, they're experienced creators. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be good. And I, you know, I I did also play around with tarot cards when I was a kid uh, or a teenager. I didn't. I don't think. Um, I, I kind of played around with them for fun and as a way of trying to get a girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> it didn't work in that one i paid but, my um, way through college by reading tarot cards on a premium rate number i think i've said this before to yeah, so i'll yeah, just shut up so, but uh, yeah. i am a professional tarot card reader so uh there you go <laughs> um <clears throat> uh, one also, more thing i wanted to say about wild, it, oh the other thing i want to say about wild is dave's credentials are he wrote the doctor who role-playing game from cubicle seven yes. yeah uh, so i think you know this isn't an inexperienced writer publishing his first game by no no not, not at all no um Ooh. then we've got another friend of the show involved in another project um do you want to tell everybody about this one um, he's your friend more than mine isn't he well he's, he's all of our friends he's um, all of our friends 
<laughs> so um, Nightfall Games last week, I think it was, announced that they are producing the official role-playing game of uh, Terminator. So um, as part of that, they've got our friend and yours, um, Andrew Gasker. Drew Gasker is going to be um, writing a lot of that for them. It's uh, going to be using the Nightfall's S5S system, which I know a bit about, but I don't think I've ever played it. And it's... Uh, it's uh, no, so Nightfall are famous for... Uh, well, I don't even know how you meant to say this. SLA Industries or Slay yeah, Industries yeah. or SLA Industries, um, which was a game that came out in the early 90s. It's been re-kickstarted recently, but yes. it came out in a period in the 90s where <clears> we <throat> weren't getting together much to play games, and therefore I remember its existence, but I never picked it up. Um, no, likewise. What do you know about the S5S system? Um, well, it's a dice pool system. You... I think you have six dice and five of them relate to skill and one of them relates to something else. <laughs> so this is showing oh, that right. I, yeah, this is really informative. To, um, this is showing that I don't know very much here. about. <laughs> so like you roll six dice and you count some successes or total them up or something it's, is what you're something, saying. It's something like that, yeah. And then um, things either happen or or not, I guess. Or, <laughs> or the things that happen are either good or bad. It, it feels a bit like a... I don't know, uh, would you call it a role-playing game, Dave? <laughs> uh, I, I look, I've only had one coffee this morning, so I'm not really on, 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 on full. Um, on full well, you were the one that said you know something about it. I'm sorry, well, I put you on the spot. <laughs> you did put me on the spot. Well, I, I, I said, I, yeah, when I said I know something about it... Um, uh, I don't know that much about it, obviously. So, so, um, so okay. But my first principle is: Do I want to play in the world of Terminator? So, I, I think there is. I think there's a, a problem. A problem. I, I think the limit that immediately strikes me is possibly something you could accuse Alien of as well. Actually, in that there is a very set bit of. Or storytelling or narrative around um you know both alien and terminator and once you've done that what what else is there so obviously alien has gone for the whole campaign thing it's set out the the the, the, the deeper corporate side of it the political side of it all of that so you know they've done a really good job in bringing all that out um i think in this one there are there are two things that that jump out one is running a kind of cinematic where you're basically running Terminator or Terminator 2 or whatever, any one of those movies, because they're all basically the same. Um, the other one, which I'm actually quite interested in, would be running a campaign around the Skynet Wars. So it'd be, it'd be a military campaign, um, probably mm. a survival campaign as well, but you'd then be playing the last remnant of humanity fighting Skynet and the Terminators. And I could see that being a lot of fun for a while. Um but otherwise, again, I mean, I don't, I don't know so much about the backstory of the canon of Terminator as I kind of did about Alien. Obviously, obviously Drew Gasker is the man who will know all of that. And he's involved in, in, in writing this. So there would definitely be, um, you know, lots of Terminator canon coming through in the game. Um, but yeah, that's my first, first kind of. Yeah. First I mean, it doesn't, instinct. it doesn't particularly appeal to me. I am, um, I mean, what's your favorite Terminator? Um, film. First one. 
first one. You see, Terminator 2 is my favourite, but not because of the story. I remember watching it and, and thinking for the first time, ah, oh, this is somebody that's made a film to be like a video game. Yeah. And I was kind of interested in, in that regard. Uh, but, uh, and, you know, I, I like it well enough. I like um, Sarah Con- Tr- um, Connor breaking out of prison. I like the T2000. Um, I, you know, there are many elements I like about it, but yeah. <clears throat> is there enough of it, of the world that intrigues me? You know, weirdly, I think there is enough in Alien. I mean, I know that the games we've played are mostly one shots and not a campaign game, but I do feel that that world in Alien is like the Outland world. So it's, you know, you know, there are opportunities that are touched on in Alien that nobody's ever explored and the game allows us to do that. I, I think don't Alien, really Alien, see yeah. it in Terminator. No, I think Alien also gives you, um, uh, it's more familiar because like you say, it, it, it's, it's relating to things like Outland. It's relating to lots of other sci-fi films or movies or books or whatever that you'll have read or seen because mm. it's a very because it gives you that it kind of the door into it is more widely open i think yeah because yeah, it shows yeah. more stuff whereas the door into terminate is very narrowly focused on the experiences of you know a, a few characters because it's basically a big chase which is fine One of my- they're great movies but does that that aperture is perhaps narrower for terminator than it is for alien i think you're right and um i just it reminded me that Actually, one of my other favourite bits of the franchise, and I'm not sure that it's one that will be covered by this game. We should maybe uh, get Andrew on on the show. Yeah, to talk that's about a it, good idea. Yeah, is um is Sarah Connor Chronicles? Yeah, I haven't watched any of those. Um, uh, well, the second series bored me to death, but the first <laughs> season was great. I okay. really loved it, and I liked the way they dealt with some stuff. And it's got Summer Glau, who plays River in Firefly, mm-hmm. as the Terminator. Yeah. And it's got a great other Terminator as well. And it's got the most fabulous last episode opening <laughs> <Okay>. ever. <laughs> um, it's a recommendation really then. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think you have to build up to that last episode scene. Yeah. Um, so you can't, I, otherwise I'd say, go and watch the first 10 minutes of the last episode. But <laughs> but no, you have to watch the whole series to get to that. But then you are so rewarded. So rewarded. Anyway, okay, cool. um, uh, so there's some interest. To, you know, there's a little bit more in there. But actually, I don't even think, and I think this, the failure of the second series to grab me shows you how little of substance there is in expanding the world. Yeah. Well, so, I don't, well, <clears throat> no, that's, that's one I watch with interest, but it's not one I'm massively interested in. Yeah. No, that, that, that's cool. I mean, I, I, I saw it was coming out and it, it piqued my interest, for, I think mostly for the idea of running a Skynet war campaign. Mm. I quite like the idea of that. And then maybe that's something I was thinking, uh, you know, you could either use the alien rules for, or maybe Twilight 2000 when that comes out, there's... Um, scope for hacking that into that kind of world because it might be perfect yeah. for twilight 2000 with a survival element to it as well mm, we should we should explore that yeah maybe. absolutely um so, so that's else? games done quickly do we want to talk <clears throat> about dragon meat yeah so um dragon meat i think did i see something yesterday that dragon meat is now being called modcon did you um, i haven't for, seen that for being online hmm so I, I saw something. So, well, either way, um, 
Dragon Meat is obviously not going to be a, a, a physical um, convention this year. There's a lot of work being put into uh, the um, online um, approach by uh, our friend John Dodd and others at, um, at for Dragon Meat. And so, of so course, and ModCon is Modifius Con. Yes, exactly. Isn't yeah. it? That's where it comes from. Modifius have run Dragon yeah. Meat for the last few years. Yep. Right, yeah. gotcha, yeah. Um, so... I, mean, I guess regardless of the, of the name, um, we are talking with um, Mira, our friends from the podcast zone. Mira Manga, yeah, at the podcast mm-hmm. zone, and definitely going to be involved in uh, the podcast zone for Dragon Meat Stroke ModCon, whatever it's going to be called. Um, well, I'm, not, I'm just reading ModCon's website, and they say it's running alongside Dragon Meat. Oh, so, okay. Um, uh, so, so Dragon Meat remains the the physical. So there will be a Dragon Meat of some sort featuring the podcast zone, and. Uh, Modifius are obviously going to do something that's particularly showcasing their games. Okay. Ah, fair enough. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, so we're in discussion with um, the lovely Mirror about what we're going to be doing for the podcast zone. Don't know yet, but we'll definitely be doing something. Or well, certainly I will. Um, I know, Matthew, your availability that weekend is somewhat reduced. So we'll it's see. M- what- my wife's birthday. I was going to say it's my wedding anniversary, but we just had that. It's had that. <laughs> It's my wife's birthday, so we are planning to not be there, basically. Not be yeah. at Dragon <clears throat> No, well, that's fine. Well, I will definitely be there. So um, if people can put up with me uh, without the the foil of Matthew, then that would be great. Yeah, I don't um, know. So- 100% <sighs> you would be dreadful, but there we go. There we go. <laughs> that's what my wife says, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, so, yeah, watch for that. Also, we are um, we've been chatting with our... Free, the guys at Free League about what Free League wants to do around Dragon Meat, Stroke ModCon, whatever. Um, what's what seems to be coming out is that we're definitely going to do something to parallel with with Dragon Meat, but it's going to be more of a December run into Christmas approach rather than focusing everything just on the weekend of Dragon Meat. Um, we've got a number, which means of- I can play. Yeah, exactly. So we've got a number of things that are, are in the pipeline. There'll be a number of panels. <clears throat> um, there'll be some actual plays. So again, um, I'm going to reprise uh, Alien role-playing game for actual play at some point in December. Keep are you doing a open. new adventure for that, or is it um, going to be one of your old ones? No, I'm going to do another new adventure. This one is going to involve the Three World Empire. Ooh, um, yay! A, so I just, I just want to... I want to have a character whose personal agenda is just drink tea. So um, I think that fits. That fits. Or make a brew will be there. You must make a brew every shift, or you're going to lose points or something. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm working on that at the moment, and so that'll be played out some point in December, exactly when to be confirmed. But also, um, Matthew, you're going to be doing another version. I understand. Yes, so I think after the success of running the Silver of the Sea uh, for Essen, mm. I want to try and get the whole crew back together because I thought everybody played so well in that game. And we'll take another one out of the book, A Wicked Secret. We may even play the title adventure, A Wicked Secret. Cool. All of this, uh, like Silver of the Sea, having to be mashed down a bit so that we can do it in a, in a streaming-friendly four hours or less. Yeah. But we'll attempt to do that. So uh, that's my plan. I haven't actually looked at mashing it down. I may choose <laughs> another adventure if I can't. 
cool. Well, I, I'm delighted to hear that and delighted to get the opportunity to play Magnuson again. Um, he's a lovely character and I'm, I'm really enjoying playing him. Um, but we might Excellent. talk, we it's might talk really about- good to hear you say that because I say you say that later in the program. <laughs> I was going to say this might reflect into our um, into our piece about command structure and stuff. Exactly. But, yeah. Um, but there'll be um, what else was there? There's going to be there's going to be another actual play of something, but I can't remember what. Um, Merc Boyer, maybe. Um, but yeah, so keep watch on um, uh, on the free league, on your free league channels just to to, to pick up what's um, what's going to be finally decided with all of that lot. But that's going to be fun. So looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's me looking at ModCon, and I've just, just totally gone away from our running order. Give me a moment. I'll just diesel, go back to so the, so, the, so the last thing oh, to mention diesel on, shot. Yeah. Uh, on the water gaming is Diesel Shot and the Alien panel that they are running a week on Sunday, I think it is. So in seven days, nine days from now. Um, yeah, the, the, the lovely guys at Diesel Shot are bringing together a number of Alien content creators, GMs, players, to have a two-hour panel talking all things alien. And um, delighted that we've been invited. And um, I'm certainly going to be there. I'm not sure. Matthew, yeah. you're... Well, I, I was looking at the site. Originally, uh, uh, we were invited because um, they said, who's your favorite online con- uh, alien content creators? And I quickly wrote back, we are. We are our favourite alien. Uh, Not that we're being narcissistic or anything here, you know. So um, because I look after the Twitter stream, I got the original advert, and I was thinking initially we'd both do it. But as the panel grew, I think one of us should pull out, and that should be me. So um, unless they're desperately for uh, looking for a bottom to fill a seat, uh, I think I'll let you do that on your own, um, because there's going to be quite a few voices in that yeah. panel as it stands. Yeah. And you are more of the alien expert than I am. Yes. As um, Anna from Free League said, I'm the alien guy, you're the Verson guy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is lovely. Which is um, fine. Absolutely. To be, to be Free League's Verson guy, I can live with that. Um, uh, <laughs> I'd really like to be the Coriolis guy, but never mind. <laughs> that, was, that was the other thing. They're going to look into doing AP of Coriolis in December. Mm. That was it. That was it. So, yeah, that's brilliant. Um, and I've met the... Whether whether you or I want to fight over trying to do that, or whether um, somebody else entirely gets we'll shot. let somebody else do that. Let yeah. let's, let um, Sweden yeah. Rolls or somebody do that. Will so, although yeah. I am quickly now writing an email saying, "Me, me, I want to do that. <laughs> I want to do the <laughs> It's like one of those kids at the back of class holding that, holding their arm up as high as they can get it, going, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, me, I want to, I want to do it." Yes. Now, um, talking of Coriolis and noticing the time and realizing that I am playing Coriolis in 28 minutes, I think we should move on to talk about Coriolis. <laughs> yes. Um, and Frozen Inferno. Shall we, shall we just let Moa and Adam tell us all about it? So welcome to uh, The Effect Hammam. And today we're delighted to welcome two people who, who you'll know if you have any interest in the, in the gaming or... Um, you know, graphic art community, and who are working on an English translation of a old Free League and Coriolis game called uh, Iscout Inferno, which we'll say more about in a moment. But I'd like to welcome first Moa Fritjofsson. Apologies <laughs> for the letter. For the, uh, and she, she just told me how to say it as well. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Apologies. Uh, I didn't and, help at all. 
<laughs> no, he didn't. And um, and Adam Palmquist, welcome to the Hammam, both of you. Thank Adam, you. of course, yeah. has been in our Hammam uh, before when we were. We we were just remembering the time that uh, Adam had come to talk about getting role playing. So, uh, uh, yeah, great time. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in, in the best time on a tradition of um, having guests in the hammam, um, our first question to both of you is um, just to tell us a little bit about how you got into gaming, what your first gaming experiences were, and a little bit more about your history in, in gaming. Um, should we go to Mara first? Yeah, that's good because my history is shorter than Adam, so he will <laughs> outshine me when he comes in. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, well, I started uh, playing RPGs when I was uh, 10, 11 years old with my cousins during the summers. We played uh, Drakkardomone Trudvang, which is uh, a Swedish like fantasy game with that's uh, inspired by Norse mythology, Norse, you know. Uh, and kind of been playing ever since. And I've written some scenarios for the Swedish scene. Uh, but I think, like in Sweden, I'm mostly known for uh, having an actual play podcast with uh, three of my friends. And Excellent. now, I... and that's uh, for our English speaking audience, of course, they're going to miss out on that. But we do have some Swedes listening. So, just in case there are a few of our Swedish audience who haven't heard of it, what's that called? Svartviken Rollspels Pod. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah, and, what, and, uh, and now I'm going to. Out of interest? Uh, it's. Uh, how do you translate it? Black Creek Role Playing Pod. Okay, cool. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, and uh, and now I've gotten the opportunity to translate uh, Adam's scenario, which is actually super fun because it was, I think it was the first Coriolis adventure that I actually read, you know. Ah. Uh, so it was kind of like my intro into Coriolis back in the day. So uh, it's super exciting. I was, I was going to say, what 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 um, what's your experience with Coriolis then? So obviously you've been playing that for the last ten years as well. Yeah, we started playing it with the old rules, the yeah. the first edition, um, and uh, now we've had like uh, a break for three years. It's super sad, but now actually uh, we're thinking of when Corona lets up, we're actually going to finish the campaign that we started. <clears throat> five years ago so we're all <laughs> cool. super excited um so yeah i've been playing coriolis for a while and the other thing of course coriolis related uh that first brought you to our attention moa is uh, the prisoner of arcus yes, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> i think possibly one of the most popular adventures on the free league workshop yeah it's been it's super fun just to see that that people seem to enjoy it it's uh yeah it makes me so happy so uh yeah Super fun. Excellent. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Um, Adam, you've got just the same amount of time. Yeah. As well. <laughs> I you like can go on longer if you like. Much. Okay. Um, <laughs> Take as long yeah, as you need. I'm, um, I'm, um, I'm a bit older than Noah, but I, I, can, I cannot tell how much, <laughs> but a bit older. Uh, and uh, I've been playing RPG, tabletop RPG, since I was 10, something like that. Uh, and uh, it started when me and my neighbors, uh, Anton and Joachim, uh, snuck into their older brother's room and borrowed the, um, uh, the Draker och Demoner Expert Edition. It's uh, a uh, tabletop 80s game. 
um, basic uh, role-playing system with um, uh, it's a more deadlier combat system than uh, Dungeons and Dragons game, and you you don't level uh, as a classical BRP game. Um, quite down to earth, but very the fantasy uh, setting is very high fantasy with a how do you say a mishmash of European culture and um, throw in talking ducks and uh, other anthropomorphic animals. Then you have it more or less. Barbarians, elves, dwarves, <laughs> wolfmen, and uh, ducks. Ducks. Then you have yeah. <laughs> minotaurs, of course. I love to play. My first character was a minotaur. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the only reference you got back then was uh, Conan the Barbarian as a fantasy movie. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't allowed to see that, but I saw it anyway. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, the biggest character you could play was a minotaur. And I thought that Arnold Schwarzenegger was quite similar in, in his, how do you say, facial expressions. So um, I went for that one. Uh, after that, I was hooked. I've been hooked ever since. Uh, mm. I don't play as much now, um, but uh, I, we, I play uh, with my old, actually my old uh, group from when I was 15 to 20 something. Uh, at Roll20, we play uh, every second Monday for three hours. <laughs> That's what we have time for nowadays. Mm -hmm. And uh, we play, um, we have just finished an, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. It's my first time ever playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so, yeah, it's quite amazing. Uh, so, um, and it's quite unusual because I'm more, as I told you last time, I'm more of a theater of the mind kind of player. Uh, so now it's actually playing Gloomhaven, but in a dig digital environment, more or less. Uh, but we will start play the One Ring, actually. The old, uh, mm -hmm. the One Ring from, is it like seven? It's a, they're British. Cubicle Sevens edition. Yeah, Cubicle Seven, edition. sorry. One, yeah. Cubicle Seven. Uh, I will um, GM that. Um, I'm a big talking fan, so it will be really cool because I haven't GM for sev several years mm -hmm. because I've been busy doing other things. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, and um, the lore, it's very lore heavy. I like the rule system. I also like the theater of the mind setting the narrative driven. So it will be really interesting to uh, play that. <laughs> and with my, with my group from when I was 15, that's, that's mm -hmm. always something. Um, but I will not um, bore you with that story. What have I've been writing? I've been freelancing for different um, RPG studios, mostly free league publishing. Um, I was I wrote this Iskalt Inferno for the old rule system, even before the license were acquired uh, mm. by free league. Uh, it was Jan Ringen back yeah, right. then. Yeah. Uh, they are the same company <clears throat> nowadays. Um, and um, I'm I'm working in game industry. Uh, I'm working with serious games and the gamification, to gamification for good, helping people um, with gameful design to achieve um, extraordinary things. I hope mm. uh, mostly in education. Uh, I'm. Um, 
Uh, I'm, a, I'm a upper upper secondary uh, upper secondary education teacher, history and religion, um, and I'm as I run this startup, do sell tech startup, uh, doing gamification in um, from how do you say formal learning, uh, upper secondary education up to um, corporate training. I'm also writing my uh, PhD on uh, gameful design and design thinking. So yeah, Just freelancing, doing some consulting and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, on that note, sorry, on that note, mm-hmm. when I read the, the abstract for Prisoner of Arcus and I, uh, I, I managed to get a copy, uh, I was very amazed and I was very impressed. Mm-hmm. And I talked with, um, uh, I talked with Ricky La Troya actually, uh, and uh, he recommended me to um, to contact Moa if to talk. What can we collaborate with? I wanted to collaborate with Moa in some in some way because I think the Prisoners of Arcus is a really cool scenario. Even though I'm not into this prison romantics setting, but still, I think uh, the Prisoners of Arcus is really cool. Uh, and um, we talked about several projects actually Noah but we decided to to go for this first uh how do you say um adventure was is it like supplement supplement that free league um published and that's was this actually this supplement so we decided so let's do it let's translate it in um, in English and uh, upgrade I will the add rule yeah to the new yeah. rule set the rule system I will add some scenes and I know Moa I haven't really done that yet but I will <laughs> I will write those uh, <laughs> uh, you can English, make this a project so meeting if you like Moa so you need to be checking yeah. the uh, checking the delivery time scales on that then feel free to have a word with Adam whilst we're here that's fine <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's coming out soon, but maybe it isn't. Uh, let's just yeah, wind back <laughs> to, to when you first wrote it for Jan Wingen. Was that? Yeah, was it, I wrote it was for Free Aligan, but under license, wasn't it? Yeah, it uh, was um, because uh, Free Aligan uh, had um, did some uh, free material. Very because uh, when everybody uh, when Jan Wingen. Uh, published Cor- Coriolis, this super gorgeous, crisp, very high-end book. Everybody was, what? And nothing happened. <laughs> we waited, <laughs> we waited, we waited. And we waited because we knew that Jan Ringen had the skills to to tell a powerful and good narrative and a good story because we, um, and they had also previously had a really high uh, production th- uh, phase um, speed. Mm-hmm. So um, everybody was waiting for this massive campaign as uh, Newton, uh, was it uh, Ears of Doom, Undergångens uh, Arvtagare. So everybody was waiting for this massive campaign and they promised us a really massive con- campaign, uh, namely the Mercy of the Icons. Yeah. And it didn't show up because uh, they have, I don't know why, 
they, they and they can you can you can invite them they can tell they, they can tell them the real story but they, we didn't get any material so free league publishing uh did a free material very crisp but all um all digital actually mm-hmm. actually um interactive web page with different moving objects animations and, and mm-hmm. such and i was thinking these guys they are they i would have to talk so i i contacted i think it was costas and we wrote something at the jan ringen forum back in the days it's 12 years ago mm-hmm. uh, and we started to connect and we started to discuss and um I was I was doing my writing my bachelor in religion, uh, re- religion science I think, and one day Costa asked me, "Do you want to get paid to write about religion in space?" <laughs> AKA Coriolis, <laughs> and I was like, "Where do I sign?" <laughs> uh, but um, uh, then I I pitched. I had uh, a couple of pitches. Uh, pitches and uh, they fell for uh, East Celt Inferno because uh, it's actually inspired by the thing with uh, Kurt Russell. <laughs> uh, I I also have a degree in uh, how to say movie in movies uh, movie movie science no film history film history yeah film history film etenskap in Swedish. Uh, and I say I love old uh, 80s movies and uh, Kurt Russell movies, of course. The thing is, um, my, my number one movie of all time. Yeah, it's so <laughs> good. And it, it's been, how do you say, um, uh, appropriated for different series. The X-Files, for example, has yeah. done a, so a, a tribute to it. Pink Pingu so, did a tribute to it. I don't know if you saw Yeah, that. yeah, I think so as well. <laughs> So don't um, let your five-year-old watch that one. That's all I say. <laughs> and and um, and uh, I wrote the first draft and sent it in. And I think that Nisse just contacted me. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> that was the draft. Um, so I didn't really have time to finish it. It's it's so many loose ends in the original script. <laughs> Sorry, Moa. Um, that's a this you cannot kill this character in this scene because it will something will happen later and it never happens because they just published the first draft. Um, <clears throat> uh, but uh, it also gained momentum actually because they wanted me to uh, GM the scenario at uh, a, uh, Stockholm's Spiel Convent, a gathering for. Uh, for tabletop gamers, and um, I was quite creative back back then. And I wrote how to to get players uh, at the different sessions. I wrote how cold is your inferno <laughs> in on different notes and put them up all over the the convention. And I gained quite a lot of players. <laughs> and uh, uh, so Free League was so impressed. So they decided to do a print on demand on, um, on, the, um, on the Ice Cold Inferno with uh, some extensive um, material and, and also pictures of every shanker, four color, all that thing. I was planning to quit my university uh, <laughs> without a degree, but 
my my wife talked sense to me and I, I finished with, with that degree. <laughs> by by yeah, talk sense, you mean your wife said, what? Can <laughs> I continue right about religion in space for the rest of my life? No. Um, but I, I'm, I'm quite glad that she, um, I took a, a double master degree a couple of years later. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the story about the ice cold inferno and me started to professionally write um, for tabletop gaming and it actually I have to thank Freelink for that because they promoted this very very good very um, very brilliant very elegant and uh, it slingshot my career into the gaming mm -hmm. industry actually I was I was actually planning to do a PhD in in history on uh, medieval history in Gothenburg in the Gothenburg area and I'm quite glad I didn't, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Did you play the game back in the early you know, 2010s? Is that, was that your first experience with it? Yeah, yeah. And I was so taken by surprise because it was crisp and it was very, it was very be a beautiful book. And it had no box, no dice. It felt like the evolution of games. Because um, we have been playing for 10, 10 years or so. And everybody that I played with uh, was in uh, uni or, um, yeah, or have just finished uni. And we wanted to step up. We wanted to do something else. But we, we didn't want to go into the, the 90s with the uh, cult, the Swedish game cult. Mm. And this was just perfect actually they it, it had religion it had uh, um how do say conspiracies it had political mass mastering but also puppet masters in the shadows it had sense of wonder it had so many things that correlated with our group Mm. Such an, it's such so, an open world as well like you yeah. you get so much freedom as a gm to to actually like be creative yourself i think that that's yeah. you know <clears throat> so did, you, One, did you play yeah. the do you play um moa did you play uh Iskalt inferno back in sort of 2011 2012 when it when it came out and I, was did you, did I you actually never did. I always wanted to, uh, <laughs> and uh, because like I read it and I wanted to GM, but I wasn't the GM for our group then. And uh, my friend, she had this like huge campaign, you know, the one that we're gonna finish now uh, <laughs> five years later. Uh, so um, I wasn't the GM at the time, and I always said like, you know, yeah, one time uh, I'm, I'm I'm gonna GM this adventure for you, and then it sort of like never happened. <laughs> uh, so now, like when I'm rereading it and translating it, and uh, it, it, you know, it brought all those feelings back. Like, oh, we, we have to do this, girls. We have to, <laughs> we have to play this uh, because we never really got the chance. So I actually only read it back then. Um, so was it a, an easy choice of the options that you know, Adam was saying that you were you had a number of things that you discussed between you? Was it an easy choice, Moa, for um, Scout Inferno? I love this scenario. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, it was an easy choice. I think like 
there's a lot of similarities between uh, the prisoner of Arcus and uh, and uh, Iskalt Inferno, actually. So I think like deep down we we have sort of like the same taste in adventures. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, so uh, it was really a good fit, and it's it's also like I really love adventure. Like I'm a, I'm a huge adventure uh, freak. Like it's the best movie genre that that exists in my opinion. Uh, so I really love the the sort of like excitement of uh, you know, moving from from place to place and having these uh, actions happen quite you know quite rapidly. Mm-hmm. And it's also like a sort of like a tempo in, uh, yeah. in it. And uh, Iskant Inferno really has that. So and it's it's also like this all these kind of different players and uh, and one thing that I really love about East Coast Inferno is also that uh, where I kind of like take on the the top bad guys in in uh, the prison of Arcos, you know the the special branch and the you know the yeah. the top guys in the consortium. Adam he, he's gone like a completely different way with the uh, with East Coast Inferno. Here you really have the seedy underbelly of the Rimward Reach. It's like everybody in that adventure is a vulture. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> the bad guys, the, the good. Well, there aren't really any good guys, <laughs> but, you know, and also like the heroes, you know, it's, it's very, I think it's very easy to play that scenario and really go all the way uh, anti-hero. Can you say that? Anti-hero? Yeah. Um, that's yeah. a word, yeah. Uh, so that's really one thing that I really love about it, that it, it really... It's set at the, you know, the, the outskirts of the Kua system, and it it shows, you know, mm. it shows in who the, the 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 NPCs are and who the players are and how they're all the sort of like plots leading up to it, but at the same time you have this sort of like big conspiracies in the background, you know, it's sort of like it it it, it echoes through the scenario but it's not like at the forefront of it mm. but you know like if you start digging there's gonna be there's gonna be conspiracy there uh, there's a lot of big players sort of like behind the scenes pulling the strings uh, so you know when when adam said that you know the curios you have the puppet masters it's like yeah yeah and uh, in east cult inferno too they're they're in the background and and I think that that's something that I really enjoy as a player, but also as a GM, but mostly like as a player that you know that after the scenario is done, you can sort of like keep digging. And, uh, you know, yeah, we, we fought the bad guys, but the real bad guys are still out there, and, you know, <laughs> and we can still feel <clears throat> a mystery to be solved. So, yeah. And actually, I wrote um, a, a follow-up scenario uh, later, but and I was so inspired by the um, uh, the Telltale games. So I almost I should not I I not I should not say I did, but I almost convinced Costas that we should try to do a episode <laughs> release. Uh, that would be so cool, I, though. <laughs> Yeah, but I would he, love that. I, I think someone that had a more uh, economical uh, sense <laughs> realized that did, that it wouldn't fly. So I think I shot myself in the foot while ah. pitching it in that. But still, I think it, I have it on my on my uh, drive somewhere on some of my cloud services. So uh, if we, um, I think that this collaboration has been great, Noah. Uh, even though I, I haven't done my part. So, but, uh, <laughs> but it's been perfect uh, from your point of view. Yeah. Uh, but I, I will. 
Um, so if this works out, maybe maybe there will be a follow-up scenario. I've got to yeah. ask, actually, coming back to this, you know, the bit you haven't done yet, Adam, um, yeah. you said you wanted to add to the original scenario. What sort of things was it that you are now thinking are missing from the scenario that you didn't put in uh, 10 years ago? Actually, I want because it was a fast-paced scenario, and um, uh, I think I think it was Nisse who told me we are planning to do it. This is a, it's a convention scenario, so you cannot uh, um, how do you say use the broad strokes. You have to time frame it for like yeah, I yeah. think it was four or five hours. So I think I omitted a lot of um, um, background material, of course. But also, um, <laughs> and one thing, when, when you are, I was into the humanities, so background and story was everything for me. Background. Mm-hmm. Um, so I omitted a lot of background material, but also I, I think I omitted an, 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 an entire floor under the first phase. <laughs> but but Moa, you don't have to worry. We, we, will, not, we will not add that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was some rooms, but some also some how do you say um, mystery box that you could uh, that you could unveil. And I'm working on those uh, description. Uh, I did it off during lunch <laughs> today. Maybe I um, in these Corona times. Maybe I have a, had a longer lunch. I I, I can't recall. <laughs> but I, still, I work with those, and I they will be great. They will fit in great. So, um, uh, Mo, you're going to translate these into the English version. I'm writing these in English. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> From oh, start, this is in English as well. That's great. Um, <laughs> but what about what about all our Swedish players? Uh, is is there is this going to be published just in English, or is there going to be a new version version of uh, Ice Cold Inferno? Uh, sorry, Frozen Inferno, in both. Uh, English and Swedish. I think we we've only talked about uh, releasing it in English, but uh, yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but who I knows? think that most uh, people, most Swedish people, you know, they 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 read English, they speak English. I, I don't think they would be if they really want to do new material, they could adapt it. Uh, right. But yeah, yeah, but uh, it it's not in, it's not impossible um, because. Uh, the, the how do you say the bulk bulk of the text is in Swedish, but I will <laughs> I have to reread it because uh, I I have developed. <laughs> <I hope. laughs> um, uh, so, uh, but it's not uh, impossible at all. But, but also, we have to thank Free League Publishing because they let us reuse all the yeah. illustrations. For uh, that was the next yeah. question I I was going to ask. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, all the illustrations from the first edition, yeah, will be appearing one. in the except one because edition. they didn't uh, they didn't have the the rights for that one anymore. So uh, oh. one one illustration will be removed. Yeah. Uh, but basically, know. like ninety percent of I mean, they were yeah. so super nice. Like when we we talked to them, uh, they basically just like sent me the whole their whole project file. From back yeah. in the days, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, yeah, this this is a lot of." Yeah, stuff. and uh, <laughs> actually, we talked about that, and we will soon. Actually, we don't have a date yet, but actually, I think Christian did some really gorgeous profile, both 
photoish just for, for the portraits for the the NPCs mm -hmm. and in um, in high resolution. And uh, we talked uh, about this now, and we are planning to release some of them on the internet for just for a sneak peek. And they are oh, cool. so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. That's great. When when do we think we're actually going to see it on the Free League Workshop? Given that Adam still has a bunch of work to do. Well, <laughs> we, we said we said before we said before Christmas, so uh, we're hoping yeah. like uh, early sometime early mid December, some sometime uh, around there. Yeah. We have actually uh, we actually broken a contract. Yes. Wow. I'm, a, I'm a serious business person working in the gaming industry <laughs> so uh, so I, I i will not be the one who, who wrecks that contract. okay <laughs> you heard it here first of course <laughs> yeah. we have evidence moa if you need it later on <laughs> Um, night. It wasn't me. <laughs> and and do you have anything else sort of in the works for after this um, uh, Frozen Inferno? You got another project lined up that you're going to collaborate on at all, or anything you can tell us? Yeah, I hope. I hope so. Um, for my part, this has been really easy. Uh, but um, <laughs> I have I have more material um, actually. Me and Moa, one one project that we discussed uh, when we start talked uh, start talking about this project was actually the the campaign, the free free piece scenario uh, called the New Order, uh, pillar of the quadrant, uh, quadrant of the pillar in mm -hmm. English. Uh, it it actually at you have. I don't. Yeah, you have it in English. It's uh, Atlas of the Horizon, part yeah. one or two, where the quadrant of the pillars is uh, included. Um, and actually, this was a standalone module. Uh, we wrote it. I wrote it just and half a year after East Celtic Inferno, and. Um, me and some other um, guys wrote it, and we also wrote this three-piece scenario uh, called uh, the first one is called the Iron Gin, but it's not so cool in English. It's Jan Gin in mm -hmm. uh, Swedish. Uh, I like to play with names and the titles, as you as you understand. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's an odyssey in the quadrant of the pillars. You you visit all the four system. It's a uh, an ancient plot mm -hmm. op yeah. opening mm. because the quadrant of the pillars uh, haven't been affected by the portal wars. If you have played in um, uh, in that setting, but they have they had another cataclysmic event. But all sources of history. I was doing my masters in history back <laughs> at the time. All sources of history are gone because all the libraries and all the infotexts they are wiped out, and nobody knows why. Uh, but you are following uh, how do you say different rhapsodes. Uh, you know the the Greeks uh, had mm. rhapsodes. They didn't write uh, early Greek didn't write yeah. either, but because they have rhapsodic memory. So you have you follow different rhapsodes in the, in the different system unveiling this cataclysmic event and mm. how you can uh, stop it from ever happening again. Yeah. <laughs> so um, 
so we talked about that, but we also have a lot of other material, but I have all respect, Moa, that you have other things to do and other <laughs> <laughs> other <laughs> own material to no, but I, I really love the new order as well. Like when uh, when mm. you sent it to me and I read it, and I was like, my immediate thought was like, I want to GM this in my podcast. <laughs> 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 but we just like recently had uh, this long Coriolis campaign, so it's like, uh, yeah, my uh, my podcast mates wanted to do something else in between, something. and then yeah, something else, mm. and then. But hopefully so- one day because I think it's a really cool campaign. Yeah. Mm. So New Order was published for first edition, or no, was that no, just uh, uh, Quadrant yeah. of the Pillars. Uh, we wrote Quadrant of the Pillars, and mm. we uh, we took we took a fair time to write uh, to write it uh, because we did it in while we were doing other things. Uh, so it uh, it finished. I think it landed with the campaign with the campaign, the free uh, the free scenario suite. And the um, all the background material landed on around three hundred uh, pages, mm. uh, mm. just text, just text. Uh, sure. So and then Free League Publishing was so afraid uh, because they have promised the the fans the emissary lost the mercy of the icon yeah, yeah so they had to focus all their efforts on that one at the same time they were uh, trying to decide what kind of rule system they would use so um, i was asked when when we handed in this 300 pages uh, i was asked by costa and he said can't you write uh, the mercy of the the last part of the mercy of the icons and i took on that um uh, that endeavor you know, mm. it was really fun really fun and mm. uh, i think that uh, ricky la troya did some great editing uh, <laughs> because we also wrote this in different uh, yeah. different times and yeah. with different rule systems so basically the the thing with ricky la troya had to do was to to modify the story for the the mutant year zero engine yeah. when they start using it for Coriolis. Uh, and he did a great work with that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a delight uh, chatting to you both. Yeah, look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, so it was great to get Moa and Adam on and it's always a, a joy um, chatting with them. And yeah, we, can, we could just press Adam's button and he could do the whole show for us, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he's, a, he's a great interviewee and um, <laughs> we could probably have about like six months' worth of podcast content just of just him talking, which is great. Um, so, yeah, look out for Frozen Inferno when it comes up. We will uh, obviously advertise it on here when it's going to be published. And I can't wait. Um, I've had the, 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 the Swedish version for three years since we saw the guys in Stockholm and they were generous mm-hmm. enough to give us some swag. Um, but yeah, it'd be nice to better read it. <laughs> yes. Cool. Uh, yes. So this is, and this is really good just to say, with, you know, we talked with Frank in the last episode about translating all those other things. Yeah. The, uh, uh, there is a translation going on even now, I think a community translation of the uh, Swedish version of the Atlas of the third horizon, which is yes. different from, uh, our Atlas Compendium. Yeah. And so it's all coming together. All that content is coming out finally yeah. in English for people. Which is great. Yeah, just in yeah. time for um, Mercy of the Icons 2. 
<laughs> which, um, yeah, we'll talk about at the end of the show. Um, what do we talk about now? Shall we talk well, about rank? Yes, you were going to tell us what you thought about rank and command structure in role-playing games. My favourite role-playing game podcast, apart from Effect, of course, is Happy Jack's RPG podcast, which I've been listening to almost since it started. As usual, it's not as good as it used to be since they stopped drinking so much and burping into the mic, but it is still my second favourite. A couple of weeks ago, though, they addressed a topic which I want to talk about. Andreas from Sweden, who, he assures me, also listens to this show, wrote in to say something like this. Free League has published a game based on the Alien franchise and are developing a new version of Twilight 2000. Both are games where there is a command structure. Now, I have not run many or any games with a command structure, and I know that being bossed around is not fun, especially if it's by your fellow PCs. How do you work within the limitations and maybe possibilities of games with a command structure? Is it different when there is military rank involved, like Twilight 2000 or Alien? Now, this sort of question always confuses me because I can't think of many games that I have played or run that don't have a command structure. I would like to take this opportunity to say that command structures are fun and nothing to be scared of. Listeners may point out that I am running a campaign without a command structure right now. In our Forbidden Lands actual play, no one character is in charge – Dave's character Tengrail might want to be in charge, but Gorma and Isambold constantly remind him that he isn't. Forbidden Lands is actually a post-apocalyptic game where there are no social structures except what PCs discover in each of the adventure sites. No one is in charge of the Ravenlands, and there are no command structures. Which is a thing that used to wind me up about most other medieval fantasy games. The medieval Europe, upon which many fantasy games were based, was all about command. The Pope told kings what to do. Kings ordered barons about, yeah, even after Magna Carta. And the barons bossed the peasants about. Yet, in fantasy games, it seemed everyone is free to join a few mates for a dungeon delve. Now, the Happy Jacks crew rightly pointed out that there can be two different sorts of command structures in role-playing games. In one, the PC party is receiving orders from some higher authority. It could be our Baron telling the PCs to go and kill a dragon, or a Daimyo in Legend of the Five Rings instructing a group of samurai to escort a dignitary to Winter Court. In the other sort, of course, the command structure exists within the party. Hence Andreas's comments about people not liking being bossed around by another player. Let's get the first type out of the way first, because it's the easiest to deal with. Having an NPC boss can be a real boon if you and your players want to run a Monster of the Week style campaign, a bit like Charlie's Angels. 
Stu on Happy Jacks had a lot to say on that subject. He likes to separate his players from their boss early and for as long as possible because he does not want them rushing back to ask the authority figure what to do. And of course, if the players keep asking their boss what to do, what they're really doing is asking the GM what to do which might indeed be somewhat frustrating for a game master who likes to be entertained or even surprised by their players' decisions. But this is about a group coming together and deciding what they want. In our Legend of the Five Rings campaign, we played three characters from three different clans. But my character, who is always the best, most honourable samurai, even though he was from a minor clan was always writing back to his daimyo with no real expectation that Tony, our GM, would have to consider his reply. Once he even challenged someone to a duel, just as soon as his daimyo wrote back to give him permission. It was fun. I liked to play up to having a daimyo. Uh, The other two not so much, but that was fine. My character was just the best samurai. Having a command structure within the party has potential, I admit, to cause friction. If it's fun friction between characters, that's fine. In our current AP, Destroyer of Worlds, my character got torched by her sergeant when she refused to follow orders and, cracking, shot at him. This wasn't me, Matthew, arguing with another player. This was our characters having exactly the sort of conflict that might happen in an alien movie. It was prompted even by that character's agenda which said was to the effect of the Marine Corps can go screw itself. Maybe I could argue that getting crispy fried with a flamethrower might be perceived as an overreaction by my commanding officer, but I didn't. I just picked up another Marine character and played on with a new agenda. It simply wasn't a table-flipping moment. I did rage quit later in that adventure, but that was not over orders. That, however, is a different story. In our Song of Ice and Fire campaign, Tony played the prince of our house, definitely in command of the rest of us. My character, Marco Salt, was the sort of man who would start every conversation with, I wouldn't presume to advise you, my lord, but it strikes me that you could and then tell him exactly what to do. In Andy's Pendragon campaign, our characters started out as equals, but now Dave is the bloody High King of England, and you don't get much more in command than that. But Dave doesn't always want to be king. In Vason, he's very much enjoying playing the always-on-duty and hyper-combatant manservant of Our Lady Doctor. On Happy Jack's podcast, the host, Stu tells of the difficulties of including a member of the nobility in traveller games. He said that to deal with a player who brought an archduke to the table, he decided that the character was an heir, not an actual archduke, and also on the run. It's the only way I could see why he'd be running round with a bunch of reprobates, he said. I disagree. In games of traveller, I have been an archduke, and the captain of the ship, one of my huge fleet of ships. And not only that, but a captain that was also linked with the ship itself, so with the power of life and death over everybody on board. And in all these games, 
we manage to get along as players and have fun, even when our characters were in conflict. Obviously, we weren't the crew of Firefly. It was more like Dune. There was more politics in the campaign. But the characters who weren't Archdukes, who were, to quote Stu, reprobates, also had a lot of fun and agency in the scenarios. My point is it's fun to play with rank and with chains of command. But it seems there is a fear of such situations at other tables. This is so far beyond my understanding that I asked our patrons if they had experienced any problems with rank. Few had, but one GM who had was Andy, our resident Twilight 2000 expert, and the problems he experienced had involved me. It was a traveller game, and a chap called Dave, not my co-host, who was the Varga captain of a Star Trek-style exploration mission. I was playing an Aslan first officer, we think, whose signature item was a pair of Aslan long pistols. I had always been fascinated by Aslan long pistols in Traveller, I think because they look a bit like 18th century firearms. Anyway, pretty much the first thing Dave did was to command me to hand over my pistols to be locked in the weapon locker, to which only he had a key. I think I handed them over, but Andy reminded me that I later had a long moan about it to him on the telephone. I had built my character around those pistols, and Dave had immediately separated that character from his iconic items. He might have had some in-character reason for doing so. Perhaps he thought my character's weapons were an inherent threat of mutiny. I would happily have followed his orders, but it felt like he was taking my character concept apart. This wasn't really anything to do with the in-game chain of command. It was about the player, Dave, using his in-game power to take away not just my player agency, but my character identity for no in-game reason at all. One of the most often quoted bits of advice on Happy Jacks is don't play with dicks. Of course, it probably took some years of experience to recognise that Dave was one and to stop playing with him. But it was experiences like this that helped us see. So you should not be scared of featuring rank and a chain of command among your player characters. Indeed, such games can even turn out to be a useful tool. If you rotate the command between campaigns and watch how people react to being in different positions in the chain, you might learn more quickly which are the players you don't really want to play with. Okay, that was really good, Matt. And um, I think, you know, the, the key piece of advice coming out of that, which I guess most of us know already, but it's really always good to, to reinforce it, is don't play with dicks. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that's... You know that's that 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 is the key key bit of advice. I think it's really interesting because there's um, a lot of it. A lot of how well a command structure plays is down to um, is down to kind of the 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 what's the right word I'm looking for the uh, the style of play of different players. So I, mm-hmm. I find I, I I find I often have to tell myself to step back and let the others have a go. Because I, I have a lot of ideas, <clears throat> and as you know, I'm I'm not backward in coming. You're forward not backward in coming forward, no. <laughs> um, and I'm bursting with ideas, so I want to get them all into the game. But then I, I sometimes definitely have to say to myself, "You got to let 
the others speak because other players don't play maybe as assertively or confidently as I do. And that's not fair. It's no fun for them um, or even for me uh, if, uh, if the other players aren't involved properly. So I think there's definitely a thing as a player about recognising um, airtime for every other player. Yeah, or what I was going to call spotlight time, but you beat yeah. me to calling it airtime. So um, I guess re- there is an issue, regardless of their of their position in the rank structure. Mm. I think I think the other thing, just to finish off the point, is that in that rank structure, every character's got to have something about them that makes them unique and important. It's not yeah. one person being the boss and everyone else just being a scuzzy little useless person to be ordered around. Um, you know, so there's there's got to be. It's got to be, you know, the, the, the people who are underlings or who, who are, you know, under the boss, under the commander, have to have a mechanism or an expertise that allows them to comment and offer their, their insights into how to proceed rather than just sit there waiting for the commander to tell them what to do. The A time, the A team, I should say, is a great example of this, isn't it? Because Hannibal Smith is definitely the commander and definitely in charge. And yet he relies on Mad Mad Murdoch, the pilot, uh, on on the Face Man, and on yeah. B. A. Baracus for various skills which they bring into the into every solution, which generally is uh, building a bunch of uh, junk into a tank and then killing everybody. Well, not killing, shooting at everybody without killing them. Um, yeah, which is what they yeah. do so well. But yeah, you know that it's about team, and although it's a command structure everybody's a protagonist and i think you're right one of the things you ought to avoid and make sure everybody works towards is shining the spotlight too much on the person who's the captain or the yeah the sergeant in our alien game and i don't think uh i don't think that was an issue in the in destroyer of worlds where there was a definite command structure was it no i don't think so either i think there's one of the things that you kind of have to accept in that kind of game is that the person in command might make the last call, but actually it's, mm-hmm. it should be making the call. Um, if, if they even have to having had a long discussion with the other players about what the options are and nine times out of 10, the playing group would settle on an option anyway. And then the commander would just say, yeah, that's cool. We'll do that. But everyone's already agreed it rather than saying, no, we're not doing that. We're doing this. Cause I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in charge and I can arbitrarily, tell you what to do which is not not much fun yeah okay is there a thing about the fact that we're a bit more grown up and we've all been to work and we recognize having worked for 30 years or whatever that um our role in an organization is often to advise the person who does have their power to make the final decision but you know we're all putting our ideas in and then giving them the best advice possible and then they make the final decision is that is that because that's what we do in real life and therefore we find it easier to do that in games than when we were teenagers? There's probably something in that for sure. I think, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good point. I mean, the, the one, I mean, the examples you, you draw out, you know, like um, uh, Forbidden Lands and L5R and some of the other games there, you know, where there has been a command structure, it hasn't gotten in the way of the role playing at all. No, not um, at all. That's that's what that's what I find so intriguing about people mm. who express it as a problem because So I, but I would I would I would just mention one occasion not so long ago where where I did feel a little bit of frustration and it was playing Star Trek Adventures and oh, right. I was the captain of the ship and 
it wasn't so much a, a frustration around people you know, about giving orders or that kind of stuff. It was more about um, the, my crew giving me a really, really hard time over any decision I was going to make or any decision that we were um, coming to. And But that was more because I think the players didn't really play their characters like Starfleet officers. It was more of a mm. more of a it was more of a kind of Firefly feel rather than a Star Trek feel in that sense. Well, that's um, the thing, isn't it? I mean, um, Star you can't really play Star Trek without having a chain of command. No, at all, can you? But then you know, Star Trek tends to be um, a very collaborative um, mm. sort of command approach. So decisions are rarely just made by Kirk or um, or, or or Picard. Kind mm. of arbitrarily, sometimes, or they indeed, are. the best <clears throat> Starfleet captain there is, um, Matsumoto Sulu. Yeah, no, Captain Saru of USS <laughs> Discovery. Well, I haven't watched any of season three yet, so no. Oh, um, sorry, no spoilers. I was aware he became captain, but yeah. All right. um, so that no, was interesting. So I, I watched um, just on on the off chance an episode of um, original series last night that I'd, I'd actually never seen before, and, and oh. in it, and in it, Kirk was being quite arbitrary about his decisions and was basically telling Spock to mind his own bloody business, I'm captain. And the whole episode was about Spock trying to work out why he was behaving this way. And it was, mm. it was, it was a really good episode, good reasons behind it, you know, good ending. But it, it struck me that that was just, that was an occasion where the captain was making decisions without involving his command crew. And they made a big thing about it for the whole episode because that's obviously so against the way it should be done. Yeah. So I think, you know, that, that maybe reflects into the, into the role playing game as well, where, yeah, the decisions made on the bridge should usually be collaboratively reached in a, in a collaborative way. Mm. But in, in definitely in Starfleet. And of course, the other thing about Starfleet yes. is everybody is super competent in the thing that they're competent in. So yeah. everybody, as you said, you started off saying everybody should have a thing they can do. That's definitely a thing that happens in Starfleet. Isn't yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah, until of course your chief medical officer decides to try and torture a prisoner to get some information out of him. <laughs> torture, yes. And then and that's then, a common. And, yeah, and then and then he said, "Oh, we didn't mean it. I was just trying to scare him." <laughs> no, hang on, no, you can't even do that. You know, I think I, th I think by by our even our twenty first century rules against torture say that the threat of torture <laughs> yeah, is exactly. still torture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, um, cool. Now that's a really good piece, though. Enjoy that. It's, it's a really it's an interesting discussion, and there's you can you can apply it to basically every group we've ever played in because even if there isn't a a formal command structure, then usually some kind of authority settles in that group in one way or another. Yeah, like like uh, Tengrail thinks he ought to be in Forbidden Lands. Well, I don't think I don't think Tengrail thinks he ought to be. I think Tengrail feels that he probably just is a little bit. <laughs> um, no, I don't mean that in a big-headed way. I mean, um, of the group, it feels to me that he's kind of the bit that sticks everyone together. All right, does he? Oh, okay. I don't know whether that's right or wrong, but maybe that's just. <laughs> well, after ask the others next time. Yeah. We play. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and, you know, and again, you know, I, it, it, I'm thoroughly enjoying that because even though there isn't that much of a command structure there, the elves did used to be in charge of everybody else pretty yeah. much in that world setting. And so it's it's perfectly acceptable that Tengrail is that arrogant. Um, 
So uh, I, I very much enjoy watching you three banter away. We should move on, though, because yes. I've got a game now in 15 minutes. And um, what are the last things that we have to be talking about? Oh, it's homework for next time. What's what's happening next time? Ah, um. yes. And we did. Uh, we cannot tell a lie. We haven't just been thinking this. I think I'd suggested to you um, after our first uh, Coriolis session of the new campaign, you've done a lot yeah. of um, world building around the nomads. Yeah. And uh, we thought you might do as your homework a bit of an essay on that yeah i i'm more than happy to do that that would be um, that'd be really interesting uh yeah so sort of nomad federation um kind of under the hood kind of thing so you know social structure and how the uh, how the federation actually works as a entity with lots of independent entities within it yeah cool yep I'm so happy uh, to let's talk about that and the other thing that we're promising is uh, another interview this time with ricard and troya Excellent. And this actually, this might be quite a long interview because we're going to do it in two parts, aren't we? We're going to have. uh, (laughs) You're arranging arranging this one, so you're you're joining us for the first bit, and we can talk some general free league and Coriolis stuff with Richard uh, Ricard there. But then you're going to leave the room because Ricard and I are going to talk about the consequences of Mercy of the Icons Part Two, and. and we'll book that, I think, when we edit that, that episode together, we will book that right at the end of the episode. So yeah. y- you'll say your goodbyes. And that, for, for anybody that wants to, can stop the episode there and not hear any <clears> of <throat> the spoilers. And we can and then just we'll do set off the spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler alert. alert, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, then at the very end, the last five or ten minutes or whatever, um, Ricard and I will talk openly about the spoilers. So, cool. um so it may be Good. that we just do that bit and I get away with not doing any homework, I think. <laughs> That's fine, yeah. Uh, um, as we've seen, this episode is going to be enormous. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah, cool. Um, and on that note, uh, I think we probably ought to call it a day for today. So everyone, thank you very much for listening in. Have a great couple of weeks and it's um, goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures you have been listening to the effect podcast presented by fiction suit and the rpg gods music stars on a black sea used with permission of free league publishing